Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Morning. I want you to bring to mind the last time you properly got lost. Can you think of a time that you did that? I'll, I'll tell you for me while you're thinking about your own example. It was a few weeks ago. Andy and I had gone down to, to London. There was a, a conference there. Now, I used to live in London. So on the journey back, we got like a train from the place in South London into Central. And it came in one station. We needed to get to another station. So I know London. We can blag this. It's kind of that way. Let's walk up this road. And that will take us roughly in the right direction. Then we'll recognize it and we will find it. And I, I was confident. I was blagging it a little bit. But projecting this confidence of someone who used to live in that city. So we walk up this road for a while and it's not looking that familiar, but still, it's like, I'm pretty sure it's that way. Andy, a couple of times, had said, should we just have a look on a map? Should we just get the phones out? Should we Google this and see what's going on? I said, no, no, we don't need to do that. I used to live here. This is definitely the way. Everything's just around the corner with It is, it is. And... So eventually I yield. We're 45, 50 minutes in now. Still not looking as familiar as I hoped. It's like, fine, we'll pull out the map. And apparently we were going sort of in the right direction. If we carried on going roughly that way and turned a bit for another hour and a half, we'd have got to where we needed. So I wasn't entirely wrong, but we decided let's bin this off, the whole walking thing. Let's get on a tube and let's get to the station in time for our trail. We were a bit lost. I've been more lost than that before, because at least on this occasion, I had Andy as like, come on, let's, let's look this up. We had phones. We were able to find our location. Now, if you rewind in time, about 23 years, the phones with the maps and all that, it wasn't really a thing. I was 16 years old. I was doing my Duke of Edinburgh award, practice hike in the Peak District. And we had maps, we had a route we were supposed to take. The route did not include Mantor. Uh, at nine o'clock at night, we're pretty convinced we're somewhere on Mantor, but no idea where. And we've got no idea where the route is, how to get back to it. It's dark, we haven't got a clue. At that moment, we weren't in let's blag it mode, we were in let's panic mode. We're totally lost. We don't know the way to the camp, we don't know the way to the route, we don't have any way of contacting anybody. We were kind of really freaking out at that moment and thankfully it wasn't too long before one of the teachers who'd organised the trip uh, came by in a car who'd been obviously out looking for us and found us. Sometimes there comes a moment when you're properly lost. You can't sort it out for yourself. What you need is somebody else to come and get you out of that mess. The same is true when we're lost, not just in geographic sense, but in life. I don't know if you've ever felt lost in life when you've just been sitting in your room or somewhere else and you've just got this sense of what is happening to me? What is going on? I've no idea what my life has become. I've no idea where I'm at. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not happy with things. What is life? I'm sure we've all had several times that we felt that way. I think 
For myself, the biggest one was my first year at university. I'd left friends, I'd left home, I'd gone to a new city. I, I was desperate for something that I could connect to, something that I could belong to, some friendship group that I could be a part of, some activity that I could throw myself into. And there have been other times, but that was the big one for me, that there was just this sense of what am I doing? What happens now? What is my life? This morning, we've got some good news for anybody who's ever felt lost. And I want to share with you one Bible verse, and then we'll read the passage that it comes from. But the one verse that sums the whole thing up is Luke chapter 19, verse 10. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Luke 19, or feel free to see on the screen. This is what Jesus said about himself and about why he came. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, that was Jesus explaining what had just happened in a little story. And the story is what we're going to be thinking about this morning. So uh, we'll jump back to verse 1, the start of the chapter, and just read what's led Jesus to make this statement. So he, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Here's one story that I think is emblematic of what it means for Jesus to seek and save the lost. It's a story about Zacchaeus, but it's not only a story about Zacchaeus. It's a story about what Jesus can do in any of our lives. And so we're going to look at it in a, a nice simple breakdown this morning, just focusing on three words. Lost. You see Zacchaeus was lost, right? Seek. You see Jesus sought him. And save. You see Jesus saved him. We're going to look at how these things work out in the story and how they work out for us. So let's start with, with lost, right? If Zacchaeus was anything, he was lost. And I'm not talking in the wandering around London, refusing to look at directions sense of loss. I'm talking about life lost. The direction of his life had ended up in a pretty desperate place. He was a tax collector. Now, I need to explain this a little bit because we don't really have proper tax collectors anymore. We don't have people who turn up on your door like bang, 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 here's the money you owe, give it to us now. We don't have those kind of tax collectors. Our tax collectors work in offices, on computers, and you, you just get pings and emails and texts, so your self-assessment is due, don't forget to do it, and it all kind of happens automatically. In those days, tax collectors would just go and take money 
from you. And here's how it worked, right? You had the Roman Empire. They were powerful. They controlled vast areas of land and they wanted to get money from the citizens. Now, they couldn't really be bothered to set up the whole infrastructure themselves to have Roman officials go into the door to say, you, these are your taxes. So what they did is they sold the rights to tax an area. So if you wanted to tax the area of Judea, you could bid for the right to tax that area. So the Romans get their money in one big lump sum. It's convenient for them. And you call them like the tax farmers then have bought the right to tax the citizens of an area. Now to make that profitable, they just handed over a big lump sum of money to tax an area. They're, they're going to want to fleece the people of that area for as much money as they can to get the best return on their investment. And then uh, they, they set up kind of arbitrary rules and taxes and different things that you had to pay money on. And William Barclay explains this a little bit. Let me just kind of read what he says as he's describing the tax system. He says there was a purchase tax on all that was bought and sold. There was bridge money to be paid when a bridge was crossed, road money to be paid when main roads were used, harbour dues to be paid when a harbour was entered, market money to be paid when a market was used, town dues to be paid when a traveller entered a walled town. If a man was travelling on a road, he might have to pay a tax for using the road, a tax on his cart, on its wheels, on its axle, and on the beast which drew the cart. There was a tax on crossing rivers, on ships, on the use of harbour keys, on dams. There were certain licences which had to be paid for engaging in certain trades. That's just a snapshot of how people were taxed in those days. Do you reckon if you were living there and then, it might get a little bit annoying? Like everything you want to do, there, there, no, you need to pay a tax. You need to give us more money and more money and more money and more money because obviously they've paid money for the right to do this, so they're making it as extreme as possible. Now, these big kind of tax farm uh, companies that had bought the rights, they, they'd be able to tax quite a large area. They then need to hire some people to actually on the ground go and get this money out of people. And that's where the tax collectors come in. That's where people like Zacchaeus come in. He then would be working for one of these organisations to tax people. Now, how do you think Zacchaeus gets paid? Do you think these tax farmers are going to give him a nice, big, uh, healthy salary? Didn't quite work like that. Okay, The way Zacchaeus got money is when he was convincing you how much tax you owed, he could add a little bit on. And if you'd buy it, and if you'd believe it, then you'd be giving him extra money. So he'd be going even above and beyond this ridiculously high tax system to make a little profit for himself, put a bit in his own pocket. And so he became rich out of it as well. He's a scumbag. He's a morally lost man because you've got the whole people oppressed by the Romans and then this corporation comes in and then people like Zacchaeus comes in. And the whole thing is the people are getting oppressed and pushed down but I'm out to make a profit. I don't care that you guys have got nothing. I just want to line my own pockets at your expense. He was morally lost. I wonder if this morning as you're here in church, you have just this kind of nagging feeling that maybe, maybe I'm a bit morally lost as well. Maybe it's not the same choices that Zacchaeus has made, but I've made choices that 
are wrong, that are shameful. Maybe you've got this sense of, if the other people in this room just knew, if, if only they knew, what would they think of me? Maybe when you hear people give testimony of positive choices they've made in their life, you find it hard to celebrate with them because all that's going on inside you is just this sense of shame. Of, well, it's good for you that you've done that, but what about me? What about the things that I've done? I'm not on that same level that you are. Maybe you identify with Zacchaeus, this morally lost man. As well as being morally lost, he was socially lost as well. Because imagine you're living in the town and everyone knows that you're the one who's just out to make money for yourself at their expense. No one likes Zacchaeus in this town. I mean, you think you've got this like little dude and there's a big crowd gathering to see someone. Normally what would happen in that kind of setting is someone would say, hey, guys, uh, there's this little guy here. Could you just let him to the front? Can you make sure he can see as well? But as this crowd has gathered to see Jesus, it's like nobody wants to let Zacchaeus through. Nobody notices. Nobody cares. Nobody's got any interest in helping Zacchaeus out. He's outside community. He's outside what these people of the town want to help. People didn't like tax collectors. People didn't associate. People didn't let them in. You might think that cancel culture is a 21st century invention. It's not a 21st century invention. Zacchaeus has been absolutely cancelled by the people of the town. He's a non-entity there. And again, maybe this morning you, you identify with something of this. You might be actually socially, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit lost. You know, it probably was how I was that first year at university. Not, not in the same way as Zacchaeus. It was kind of a mild form of it. But I was thinking, where do I fit? Who, who are my friends here? Where, where's my community? Who do I connect with? Maybe you resonate with that or Maybe for you it feels worse than that. Maybe you feel like every time you walk into a room, you just don't notice. No one sees you. No one knows you're there. Or maybe you feel like you're actively shunned, like Zacchaeus was pushed to the outside. That's where Zacchaeus was. And yet, in Zacchaeus, in this man who's socially and morally lost, there's a bit of a hunger in him. There's something in his soul. Marianne Zahn describes it like this. She says, he hears stories about a travelling rabbi, how just before entering Jericho, he gave a blind man back his sight, and how right before that, he told a rich young man to give away everything that he owned, that the one thing that was lacking, and Zacchaeus put these things together, and wonders if maybe he, also a rich man, can receive the one thing he's lacking and be healed. Zacchaeus is looking for an intervention. So he rushes ahead to climb a tree, and to get a look at someone who is the opposite of him. It's really striking and significant that Zacchaeus makes this choice. Because when you are in a place that Zacchaeus is in, when you're pushed to the outside of society, when you know that what you've done is wrong, really you've got two choices. One of the choices is kind of to double down on it, to be like, this is just who I am, this is what I do, if you don't like me, I don't care, I'm just going to do this thing anyway. Or... You can let that flicker of hope remain that maybe, just maybe, things could be different. Maybe there's still hope. And maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you're, you're at church because there's that hunger for something different. There's a hope that in, in Jesus somehow you can find 
what you need. Zacchaeus can't even get to Jesus. He's a, he's a short bloke. The crowd's in the way, but he finds a way. He finds a tree down the road and he climbs it so he can get a view. He's doing whatever it takes to get a sight of Jesus because maybe in Jesus there's the answer for him. Well, the good news for Zacchaeus and for me and you is that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And You've got Jesus walking down the street into town. Have you been to the beach with like a metal detector? Uh, and when it's near metal, it, it like beeps, doesn't it? Like beep, 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 beep. It tells you that there's the presence of metal. Well, there's something in Jesus that was like a spiritual hunger detector. And as he was walking by, and as he noticed spiritual hunger in someone, it's like something went off, like beep, 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 beep. This is what I'm looking for. Someone's hungry for God. And he sees it in Zacchaeus. He scans the scene. And who does he pick out? All these respectable people who are living well, according to society, who are well connected with each other, maybe have positions of influence in the synagogue. He doesn't pick out any of them. He picks out the unlikely one, the tax collector, the guy up a tree who no one would let through. That's who he picks out. He picks out Zacchaeus. You know, before this preaching series, we looked at the God stories from the margins. This series could have the same title. You know, you find all through the Bible, God chooses those on the edge. God works with those on the margins. And it's like Jesus has been uh, searching for people like Zacchaeus for a long, long time. You know, I remember when I was a child, we went on holiday one year to, uh, I, th I think it was a, a holiday in Portugal that this particular thing happened. Um, but my mum, before we went, would buy us a few holiday toys. And one of the things I got was a, a green little Orville the Duck toy. Uh, and I loved this thing. Uh, and I remember I took it to the beach one day. So I was there on the beach with my Orville. And guess what happened to Orville? He got lost in the sand. And I lost him on the beach. And I was absolutely devastated. And so all the rest of the time on the beach, I'm not playing in the sea. I'm not making sandcastles. I'm just digging in the sand, trying to find Orville. I didn't find him. And so the next day in the morning, when um, mum and dad said, hey, what do you want to do today? I said, can we go to the beach again? Can, can we sit in the same spot on the beach that we were yesterday? I want to dig more. I want to look for this Orville that's lost. And every day on that holiday, I wanted to go to the beach and search for this Orville that was missing. That's like Jesus. He's, he wants to search and search. He's seeking that which was lost. And don't you find it striking what Jesus says in verse 5? What's the first thing he says? He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. You see, Jesus knows his name. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you short bloke in a tree. I've got something to say to you. He says, Zacchaeus. How do you think Jesus knew his name? It's possible that he knew it supernaturally. There are other stories in the Gospels where Jesus knows people's names in a supernatural way. That might have happened. I don't know about that. I wonder if it's just that he was paying attention. Because Jericho was on the road from Galilee to Jerusalem. So Jesus would have passed through it many times. He would have been through Jericho every time he was going to Jerusalem for a festival or feast. And every time he was going home again. I wonder if he'd have just been there. Noticing things, looking around, paying attention to the people who were there and knowing there's this guy, Zacchaeus, he's lost and he was desperate to find him. I don't think it's a coincidence 
that Jesus knew his name. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus was in Jericho on that day. Did you know that this story is the last recorded story of Jesus doing something before he goes into Jerusalem with a triumphal entry and we go on to the last week of his life where everything accelerates towards the end? I think of this as like the last normal thing in Jesus' life and ministry. Think about COVID, right? That week before lockdown first kicked in. Do you ever think about what were the last normal things that you did before everything went crazy for a while? I think about a trip to the pub with some friends. And over the last year, I look back on that quite a lot. So that's the last time I'd done that for ages. Well, for, for Jesus, this was his last normal thing before heading into Jerusalem. And he knew what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem. And yet this was what he did. You know, throughout the Gospels, Jesus time and again talks about whether it's his time or not. Often he'll say, my time has not yet come. It's like at this moment, he's saying, my time has nearly come. I'm nearly ready to move into what's going to happen. There's just one more thing I need to do first. There's one little tax collector sitting up a tree who I need to save. And once I've done that, then I'm ready. Then it's my time. Jesus was searching for Zacchaeus. P.G. Matthew is a scholar and he says, so Jesus was coming through Jericho for the specific purpose of seeking Zacchaeus. Not because he was holy, but because he was wicked and unrighteous. He was a gift that God the Father gave to the Son to save. So that same desperation that me as a kid on the beach searching for my little Orville had, think about that times a million, is the desperation that the Son of God had to seek Zacchaeus, this man created in God's image who was utterly lost. And that same desperation he has to seek you and to seek me. And then what does Jesus say? We point out that he says Zacchaeus. And then the rest of verse 5, he says, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on the website Quora. Quora is a website where people could ask questions and get answers from strangers on the internet. And I, I found a question, if you wouldn't mind bringing it up for me. Um, someone asked, is it always rude to invite yourself to someone's house or is it sometimes okay to suggest this? I don't know uh, how you would answer that question, but uh, Valerie Tate, who's a, a realtor uh, and has answered a hundred um, questions apparently things yes it is always rude to invite yourself to someone's house you do not know what plans they had for themselves before you became an uninvited and possibly unwelcome guest so um, that, that's one opinion on the internet um, yet despite Valerie's view on the matter it seems like Zacchaeus doesn't actually mind Jesus inviting himself to his house you know, this series we've been talking about meals with Jesus. We're quite a long way into this sermon, but this is the point we're getting to a meal. Jesus turning up at Zacchaeus's house. And in a lot of the meals so far, you found that Jesus was at the house of some kind of important authority figure, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a scribe, someone like that. And then you'd have some kind of... Um, undesirable would turn up at the meal and there'd be some kind of argument about it. Well, now, as we're moving through the series, as we're moving later in the Gospels, we see the dynamic has shifted a bit. One of those characters is no longer at the table, and it isn't the undesirable who uh, those in authority had want to push away. 
No, the undesirable guy, Zacchaeus, he's the host now. Jesus is at his house, and it's the teacher of the law, the Pharisee, the scribes, who've constantly rejected what Jesus is doing. Suddenly, they're no longer at the table anymore. But there's still objections. They're still complaining and grumbling about it. They said he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So they're complaining still, Jesus, why would he eat with someone like that? There must be something wrong if he's eating with that kind of person. But Jesus answers it in terms of salvation. He says salvation has come to the house. And Fred Zaspel is a pastor who was writing about this. He said, if we think in terms of the big picture, indeed, we will not ask why Jesus would eat with sinners. We will ask why would Jesus not eat with sinners? This is the whole reason for his coming, to bring sinners to the table of grace in fellowship with God. Jesus is not ashamed of this. He wants us to see this. This is just the kind of people he's come to save. Of course, he eats with sinners. You see, if you think Jesus was just here to collect the people who've already got their lives together, the holy types, the respectable types, and just to gather those people in, you've completely missed the point of what he was about. He came to seek and save the lost. He came for people like Zacchaeus, maybe people like you and me, certainly people like whoever's living on the streets around us, our neighbours, our work colleagues, anyone who's lost, that's who he came for. We shouldn't be surprised to see Jesus eating with Zacchaeus. And so this Meals with Jesus series, first and foremost, what it is, is an invitation to fellowship with Jesus. It's an invitation to his table. It's an invitation to salvation. And it's certainly true what the people said. Zacchaeus is a sinner. There's no denying that. But that's no problem for Jesus. He has an answer. He went to the cross and he took sin upon himself. He died for it and he dealt with it. So someone being a sinner, your sin, my sin, Zacchaeus' sin, that's not a barrier to coming to Jesus because Jesus can handle that sin. He can deal with it and he has. But the people who have said, oh, Zacchaeus, he's a sinner, it's kind of like they're implying that they don't have the same problem. It's kind of like they're implying they're fine, they don't need that. And so they're letting it be a problem. And that's the issue here. They're not seeing that they're just as lost as Zacchaeus was. There was a famous incident 100 years ago or so where the Times put a, a column out there saying, like, what is the problem in the world? What's wrong with the world today? And people wrote all sorts of letters ranting about whatever their hobby horse was. And G.K. Chesterton, he wrote in and just said, dear sirs, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. You see, he understood that he was a problem. He was a sinner. He, he was lost, just like Everyone else, just like Zacchaeus. And it's only Jesus who comes to seek and to save the lost. So what happens to Zacchaeus then? Jesus turns up at his house and you see Zacchaeus is like, hey, by the way, here's half of my money. I'm going to give it away to the poor. And I'm thinking about all the people I've ripped off, all the people that I've claimed too much tax money from. I'm not just going to pay them back. I'm going to give them four times as much as I nicked off them. It's called repentance. It's a complete change. I was living this way, but now I'm living that way. I, I, I was all out for myself, and now, now I'm, I'm giving now, not taking. I'm serving others. Everything has changed. You see, a true change has happened in Zacchaeus. 
Don't misunderstand the fact that Jesus loves sinners to think that godly living isn't important, to think that doing the right thing doesn't matter. It does. And once Zacchaeus has met with Jesus, his whole pattern of life absolutely changes. But I want to notice two things about it. Firstly is the order, because this is really important. It's not that Zacchaeus sorts his life out and then Jesus is like, great, well done Zacchaeus, I'll come to your house now. Jesus comes to his house while he's in a mess and then the change happens. That's how it is with us. Jesus will come into our lives in the mess, in the lostness, in the brokenness, and then a process of change will happen. And secondly, I want you to notice the method by which change happens. It's kind of spontaneous. It's not like Jesus comes in and gives him a lecture. He says, Zacchaeus, I've come to your house, but right, we need to have a word. There's a few things I need you to do. He doesn't give him the lecture. He hangs out with him. They eat together. And it's a spontaneous reaction. Jesus is here to bring salvation. And that salvation it kind of sparks a desire for change from the heart. Grace has power. The, the unmerited favour of God, it has the power to prompt change in our lives. You know, as I was preparing this, and often when I'm preparing teaching on a Bible passage, a question that I like to ask is, where do we fit into a story like this? Do you ever read a story and think, where would I be in this story? Now, it's probably best not to just jump to, hey, I, I, I'm Jesus in this story. I'm the saviour. I'm the one who can sort everything. That's probably not the way to go. I think many of us, all of us, have moments where it's Zacchaeus. That's where I'm at. I'm at rock bottom. My brokenness is consuming. I'm just desperate for a solution. And if that's where you're at, I, I want, I'm primarily talking to you this morning. I want to affirm you and I want to say there is grace. Jesus came to seek and to save you. He wants relationship with you. But of course, they're not the only characters in the story. What about the rest of us? Where are we? And one of the things I wonder, just to throw it out there as a thing to think about, is you know that crowd who when Jesus is passing through, they're desperate to get a sight of him. They form a crowd. They stand by the roadside. They're kind of like, yeah, I, I, I want to see Jesus for myself. And in doing so, they're getting in the way of the lost guy who really needs to get to him. That's a little bit of a challenge just to throw. How do we do that? Are there things that we do that might get in the way of people who are lost meeting Jesus? It might be little things like just not noticing, just being ignorant that there are people around us who, if we could just help them a little bit, could get this glimpse of Jesus that they need. It might be the way we live in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods. It might just be the fact that we're not paying any attention to the mission field out there, whatever it may be, it might be certain Christian cultural things that we do that are just off-putting to others. What, what are we doing that's getting in the way for these lost people who Jesus came to save? You know, in the passage right after this one, Jesus tells a story about people who have been given a certain amount of money, and some of them put it to good use and make more money, uh, and one of them doesn't. He just leaves it where it is. He's just paying no attention to this thing that he's been given. And the master is not happy at all. He said, you should have made use of what I'd given you. And I wonder if Jesus had this story with Zacchaeus in mind when he told that this incident that's just happened. Because this town of Jericho, 
What's God given them? Well, he's given people. People like Zacchaeus. And what have they done with it? Nothing. They've ignored him. They've pushed him to the edge of society. They haven't engaged him at all. They haven't made an effort. What should they have done? They should have realised that Zacchaeus, this broken, lost man, when Jesus was passing through town, what they needed to do was get him in the front row. Get him to see the one who could bring salvation. But they didn't really care. So I want to put that challenge before us. What are we going to do? How are we going to be a church that helps the lost find Jesus? That's what we're about. That's what our mission is. What are you doing in your life to help the lost find Jesus? Are we praying for those uh, five people that we said? Are we having meals with people? Are we inviting people along to things? All the things that we've been talking about. As we're here in this new building, in this new community, let's make sure we're a church that's engaging and reaching the lost. This morning is an invitation to see Jesus. You don't have to climb a tree to do it. Jesus is here with us in this room. And whatever's been going on as you've come into this room today, however lost you feel, whatever mistakes you've made, it's as though Jesus is whispering to your soul today the same thing he said to Zacchaeus. I must stay at your house today. Jesus wants in. So as we break bread, as we sing, as we pray, what will you do? Will you say like the person on Quora, no, that's rude, and I, I, I don't want you as an uninvited guest. Or will you, like Zacchaeus, welcome him into your home in, in all the mess and see your salvation has come? Do you guys want to jump forward? We'll sing again in a second. Earlier this week, I was doing some filming at Castlefield Bowl for some training videos that we're doing. And it, it was fascinating how it was done. Like someone was there with me with all the camera gear. They'd set up a tripod and um, they'd put me in a certain spot on the steps. And they marked with chalk on the floor. Like, here's where you've got to stand. Put your feet in the chalk marks. And there was all sorts of sound gear there. But for the person watching the video, all of that was happening none of it was seen. And when I read a story like this, a lot of the details, a lot of the peripherals, Zacchaeus, the tree, his short height, all of that, they're just like the tripod and the chalk. That's not what the focus is on. Because the reason we did everything we did in Castlefield Bowl that morning was to get in shot a certain bit of content, a certain idea. And this story is designed to draw our ideas, centre of the shot, to Jesus, this saviour who came for someone lost, someone like Zacchaeus, someone like you and someone like me. So as we sing, let's receive him, let's welcome him and let's praise him this morning, shall we?